0: So we're going to be in Ezekiel. You guys know where that is? It's close to the middle somewhere in the Old Testament. Ezekiel, we're going to be in chapter 36. We're going to take a detour. By the way, welcome youth. I've already kind of griped at you a little bit, but welcome. Glad you guys are here. Matt Murray, our famous youth pastor. People come from all over to hear him. He's uh, preaching this morning. Don't laugh. It's true. true. Uh, they, uh, he he's preaching this morning, and so the youth are joining us. We're glad you're here. Um, okay, so we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 36. The reason that we're doing this is, um, the, taking a detour, is because last, uh, last week we, we, we've been in a series uh, about the community disciplines, and last week we talked about worship. And I made a, a few statements about how worship is tied to being full of the Spirit, uh, we talked about that in our life groups, uh, that you being full of the Spirit, the overflow uh, of being filled with the Spirit, there's worship, and there's not just, uh, not just worship, but specifically Paul talks about uh, singing, singing in community, and uh, so I made brief mention of what it looks like to be full of the Spirit, what that actually means, and I felt like today... Uh, we will not be having Life Group, on, well, we are having Life Group on Tuesday, but we're not going to be uh, doing any particular study. We're going to be at Pecan Park. So I felt like today it would be good to elaborate on that being full of the Spirit. I, I mentioned it briefly, uh, like I said last week, um, and I felt like it would be helpful to to talk about what does it actually mean um, to be full of the Spirit. Of the Spirit, uh, made a couple of uh, of statements. Go back. I'll go back over those, and then we'll really get into it. But basically, uh, made the statement that there is a difference between having the Holy Spirit present in the believer and being full of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you about the first distinction first, and then we'll again we'll go into into the text into the book of Ezekiel. The the first having the presence of the Holy Spirit occurs at salvation. Uh, we know this that. Um, to become a believer in Jesus uh, means that the old man dies, sin is forgiven, the old man dies and is done away with. Uh, we are buried with him and we're also raised with him. So we, we also receive new life. That new life is the presence of Christ in us. Now a lot of times in our understanding growing up in church, you may have heard somebody say that Jesus now lives in your heart. Uh, it, it's actually, that's not true, uh, That that Jesus is... Uh, at the right hand of the Father, making intercession, Jesus does not live in your heart. The Holy Spirit is the new life uh, that comes alive in you. It's the presence of Christ, so very much the same type of statement as Jesus living in your heart, but the uh, fullness and presence of the Holy Spirit. Every bit of the Holy Spirit, not just half, but all of the Holy Spirit um, resides in the believer at the moment of salvation. And Paul even tells us, it's very vital that we know this, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is this seal of our salvation. Uh, so, you know, people ask the question sometimes, how do, I know? how do I know if I'm saved? The Holy Spirit is actually that very assurance that we are saved. It's one of the things that we look to uh, to go, okay, how do I know if I'm, a, if I'm a believer or not? Is it how I feel right now? Is that how I know? No, it's not based on feeling. How do I know if I'm a believer? Is it based on a certain experience, something that happened? You know, those things can get confusing. One of the greatest assurances, how do I know, is the presence of the Holy Spirit alive and active in me? If that is true, we know that we are saved. It's impossible to have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, absent salvation. So the Holy Spirit is a seal of salvation. However, it is quite a different thing, and that's what we're going to look at today. It is quite a different thing to be full of the Spirit. The Spirit can live and reside in you, but what does it mean to be full of the spirit and why does Paul talk about it like it 's something that we can actively participate in that, so th- this lesson just kind of for those of you that are that are curious and we 're going to watch a video in the uh, in the next in the next hour about discipleship school. this is actually a, a lesson that we 've taken uh, that i 've taken straight from discipleship school i 've modified it a little bit for today um, but this is this is one of the things that we talk about. Uh, in discipleship school we spend quite a bit of time on the holy spirit and uh, and so this is that very introductory lesson on the holy spirit so ezekiel chapter 36 you guys ready everybody good to go okay you heard matt was preaching next and you're like let's just get to the next hour let's go ezekiel chapter 36 and then uh and then i'm gonna pray give you just a couple more seconds to get there ezekiel's hard God, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for the time that we get to spend in your word. Thank you for those that are here. Father, I pray that you would keep us from being uh, robotic about this, that this would not be just an hour where we come and we sit and we take a few notes and we read a few scriptures, but that we would encounter you, God. We ask for your Holy Spirit to have your way, uh, to teach us and to guide us and to lead us into all truth as Jesus promised that you would do. Uh, Holy Spirit, we're endeavoring to even learn more about you this morning. So would you make yourself known to us? You are you're the gift promised by Jesus and uh, we want to know you. And uh, so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us do that this morning. And uh, God, we ask uh, for there to be peace and joy and hope in this room uh, as we go through the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Ezekiel chapter thirty six now what we 're going to do is we're going to read this is a uh, this is a promise that God has made to his people. Uh, just a little background why do we get to why do we get to apply this uh, you're going to you you might say, well well, wait a minute, Kendall, that looks like it's specific uh, specific to Israel, but we've been grafted in we've been brought in in Jesus, there is one new man the the barrier has been brought down the dividing wall has been uh, brought down so what God Um, has promised uh, as a result of faith, we also get to participate in, uh, and you should be thankful for that. So Ezekiel chapter 36, here we go, verse 25, we're going to start in. Actually, go back, we're going to start in 24. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now there's more to the promise there, but I want to focus Uh, Just on those verses so let me read it again. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. I want you to notice the things that God promises to do Sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleanness from all your idols. I will cleanse you Now look at verse 26. I will give you a new heart And a new spirit. I will put within you I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, we know much of the beginnings of this promise, but it's the second, the latter part of the promise that I think we pay very little attention to. Listen to, to, to what he says. The very first thing that he talks about in verse 24, I'm sorry, in verse 25, he talks about he's going to sprinkle you with clean water and you will sh- shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all uh, your, your idols I will cleanse you. This cleansing work is a very, very, very important work. Anybody ever seen baptism before? If you were here last week, you've seen baptism. Water in the scriptures always speaks of a washing and a cleansing. Anybody got a shower in the last week? You understand the power of water and cleansing. Some of you, maybe not. Don't raise your hand. So, uh, you understand that water is a cleansing agent. And so the promise of God, now look, it's, it's his work. He doesn't say you're going to cleanse yourself. He says, I am going to bring you out from the nations. I'm going to sprinkle you with clean water. I'm going to cleanse you and uh, save you from your idolatry and you will be clean. We know much about this. In, in Western church and Christianity, we know what it means to be washed clean. This is, in fact, what we talk about most when we talk about salvation, when we present the gospel. Think about times maybe where you present the gospel to somebody. One of the leading things that we talk about is you can be forgiven of your sin. There is one that has the power and the ability to wash you absolutely clean from all of your unrighteousness, all of your sin. He can cleanse you from it. And we speak and trumpet this loudly, don't we? Isn't that a good thing? It's not a bad thing. We talk a lot about the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus and how God's desire, his heart, is to set us free from serving, uh, from serving idols, to cleanse us uh, in, order to, in order to follow him. This is the beginning of the work. But I would tell you this, according to Ezekiel chapter 36, the cleansing is a work of preparation. It is not the final work. It is not the end goal. God doesn't say, I'm going to cleanse you and you're going to be cleansed and then the job is done. The cleansing is a work of preparation. Just like for us, as we come to faith in Jesus, the moment that we receive Jesus, that cleansing work that he does where he forgives you of your sin, that is a work of preparation because there is more and greater to come. Now, can you imagine that? Just think about that for a minute. That there, there is greater work that God wants to do than just forgiving you of your sin. And I imagine if you're like anything like me, uh, the forgiveness of your sin is a pretty great thing. The thought of God cleansing me is a pretty enormous thing. And to think that that is simply a work of preparation. So what is he? What is the work of preparation? Why is he cleansing them? So what's the next thing he says? And I will give you a new heart. This is verse twenty-six. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So here's stage two, if you will. He says that he is going to give us something new. So this, this old has been forgiven. We've been cleansed. We've been washed. We've been set free, forgiven. And he says, now I'm going to give you a new heart. Why is that? Because what was broken and corrupted in me before I met Jesus? Everything. My heart was absolutely broken and corrupted. I was a slave to sin. Paul says that we were, we were slaves to sin following uh, the desires of our flesh. We just did whatever we wanted to do. We were God of our own lives. And so God cleanses us and frees us, forgives us of our sin. And then he says, and now I've got to make you new. So the beginning is he's going to cleanse you. He's going to get rid of the old. And he's going to even talk about that again here in verse 26. And he says, I'm going to put something new within you. If you've come to faith in Jesus, if you have become a believer, know this, that one of the things that God did, he didn't just forgive you from your sin, but he created new life in you. The old is gone. What does the scripture say? And what? The new has come. So he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. And then look at this. A new spirit I will put within you. He says, I'm going to remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of, a heart of flesh. But what, look, notice these words. A, a new spirit I'll put within you. Now, if you've been around me long, you know what I'm about to draw. Some body, soul, spirit action here. I've got to switch. All right. All right. Quit giggling, all you body, soul, spirit haters in the room. Just kidding. All right, now all we have is orange. Is this going to work? We'll see. If you can't see it, scoot closer. It's the only marker I got. (laughs) Now, here's how this works. Did I misspell it? No. (laughs) Come on. I always do this, I write in all caps. That is a lowercase s. Sorry. Uh, here. Again, we got some haters in the room. <laughs> so, for all of you that didn't know, okay. All right. So that's a lowercase s. So here's here's basically what happens. So when we are when when we are not believers before before Christ, our spirit is dead. Why is it dead? It's dead because it's void and it is empty. Our spirit, God made us three parts We're made in the image of God. He's three, we're three. I don't, I'm not going to go through all of that. But we were made to be filled. When God created Adam, he created him from the dust of the ground. And, then, and was Adam alive at that point? No, Adam wasn't alive when he, became, when he was a structure, when he was formed from the dust of the ground. Adam became alive when God, it says that God bent down and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That word breath is the word spirit. The, Adam was filled with the spirit. He was created to be filled. He was filled with the spirit of God. And it says at that moment, he became alive life comes by the filling of the spirit. So the problem though is that we are born into death. Why? Because we're separated from God because of what? Sin. Very good. This is Gospel 101. You you you're going to catch up because we're moving fast. So we're dead. That means our spirit is dead. Why? Because the spirit of God does not reside there. Why? Because of sin. We are in sin at this point. But here's what God says. He says he's going to cleanse us. So the thing that's causing death, God is going to get rid of. Okay? And he says, I'm going to take that old and corrupted Thing out of you. I'm going to take that heart of stone. I'm going to put a new spirit within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh. Now, here's the second part, okay? Uh, Well, maybe let's call it the third, but here's the, the preparation that the forgiveness brought. Look at verse 27. Look what he says. So he's going to give us a new spirit, right? The old man is gone, the new has come, and the new has come for this purpose. And I will put what? My spirit. Not a spirit. Not your spirit. He says, I will put my spirit where? Within you. Now look at the results. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the work of forgiveness, this Ezekiel chapter 36 lays out two things for us. Salvation is, in a sense, it's one whole work, but the work of forgiveness is a work of preparation because what does God want to do? He doesn't just want to forgive you from your sin. He wants to fill you with His Spirit. You with me? This is where we begin to see the promise. And isn't this funny? We're talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're in the book of Ezekiel. We're in the Old Testament. This is the aim and the desire of God from the beginning. So here's what God does. God fills you in your spirit. He gives you a new spirit. He forgives you of your sin so that he can fill you with his spirit. Now, here's what's so cool about that. What is the result of being filled with the spirit of God? What is now possible? And I will cause you to obey my statutes and my rules. The only possibility of walking in holiness, the only possibility of walking in obedience to the Lord is by this work of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the only way that we can follow after God in the way that he desires is in being filled with the Spirit. He doesn't say, I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to fill you with the Spirit and then you're going to do the best you can to do what I've asked you to do. It is the filling of the Spirit. Just like the filling of the Spirit is tied to worship, the filling of the Spirit is tied to obedience. And I want to tell you, I think that as a church, I don't mean just Fredonia Hill, I mean as church in general, we pay close, close, close attention to this this work of forgiveness. We talk a lot about the work of forgiveness. We talk very little about this work of filling with the Holy Spirit. So that's what I want to talk about a little bit more uh, today. What did it look like in the Old Testament for the people of God to associate with the Spirit of God? See, the promise in Ezekiel chapter 36 was that God was going to put His Spirit where? In us. This was the promise. This is what was coming. It was not what was present This was the work that God was going to do all throughout the Old Testament. God speaks about uh, Jesus coming and his people being filled with his spirit. But in the Old Testament, they weren't experiencing this filling uh, with the Holy Spirit. You have some some brief moments where you read, and it depends on translation, but brief moments where you read about people, uh, and it seems like the Holy Spirit lives in them, but it's certainly a momentary and fleeting thing. It doesn't last long. But in the Old Testament, the way that people associate with the Holy Spirit was in an exterior way. It was not from within. It was in an exterior way, much in the same way that you and I are having a conversation now. Well, you're not talking much, but uh, you and I are having a conversation now. This is the way that God's people would associate with his spirit. His spirit is still tied to obedience, but this is the way that they would experience obedience. The presence and the spirit of God. The the scriptures would say something like, and the spirit of God came upon dot, 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 and he prophesied. And the spirit of God came upon whoever uh, and they uh, did whatever miraculous thing uh, they did. It was the spirit of God and they were experiencing him as a force coming upon them. But God says a day is coming when I'm going to fill my people with my spirit. This is what Jesus promised that would be so good for us. Go to Jeremiah chapter 31. Get your spot marked there. I want you guys to imagine um, a gift. Well, today's Father's Day. So imagine uh, happy Father's Day, by the way, to folks that that applies. Uh, and I, I want you to imagine a gift. It's a day when maybe you give gifts. Uh, Shiloh came in my room this morning with a card that he uh, that his mom had helped him uh, put together, and it was funny. Uh, it was one of these you could. It was like a quiz. Like Lindsay had asked him questions. Uh, I, I'm not explaining this well. Basically, it was like fill in the blank. And so my, my dad is blank years old. And so Lindsay would ask Shiloh. He'd fill it in. She'd write the answer. That was my gift, is his answers to these questions. My dad likes to blah, blah, blah. I know my dad loves me because he plays with me. I know, you know, my favorite thing to do with dad is wrestle. And, you know, like, the, oh, yeah, yes, we wrestle. So, um, uh, and he, he, guess how old he thinks I am. Ninety-one. Ninety-one. So, yeah. Abby had a lot of question marks on hers. <laughs> Lindsay said, I didn't really know what she was trying to say, so I just wrote a question. <laughs> anyway, it was funny. So, gifts. I want you to think about a gift. I want you to think about, uh, think about giving or receiving just uh, the, the best gift that you could give or receive. Just take a moment. Think about it. Think about that person. Think about the gift. Okay. Now, whether you're giving or receiving this gift, if you're on the receiving end and you know somebody's about to give you this gift and you know that they've shopped specifically for you, do you know that person that is a really good gift giver? It's like, I love getting gifts from this person because it always is really good. It always is on point for whatever I want, okay? You anticipate, right, getting gifts from that person. Or maybe you're the good gift giver and you love to give gifts because you you know that people know that you're going to give a good one. And you like to watch their anticipation because they know that you are going to give a good gift. One of the greatest parts about the gift is the anticipation of it. Think about getting, uh, being on the receiving end. If you know that somebody is going to give a good gift that's specifically for you, it creates a lot of anticipation. You don't expect to be really bummed out, do you? You don't expect to receive that gift, open it, and go, well, that was kind of lame, you know? Though that's probably happened to some of you with some gifts. The giver of the gift tells you everything about what the gift is. Am I right? So Jesus came. And he lived on the earth for 33 years. And at the end of his life, he looked at his disciples and he said, I've got a gift for you. And it's better than me being here. Now, think about that for a moment. These guys had lived in an unbelievable three years of ministry. The things that Jesus said and taught them brought life, and they saw incredible, miraculous things. And then that Jesus looks at them and says, I've got a gift for you, and that gift is better than me being here. Now, what kind of anticipation do you think that brought? Pretty good anticipation, right? That same Jesus has looked at his church, has looked at us, and says, I've got a gift for you. Now remember, we just said that the excitement of the gift is based all on who the giver of the gift is. If I were to tell you in this room that Jesus has an incredible gift, that his desire is to pour out on you in salvation, Jesus has a gift. Do you think this is going to be a lame gift? You think it's going to be something that you're going to not really need, that's not going to be very important, or do you think it's going to be absolutely vital and life-giving? It's going to be everything. That gift that Jesus promised, he prepared the way to give this gift, is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The work of Jesus, just like in Ezekiel chapter 36... Is The the preparation work was a work of cleansing. The work of Jesus, his sacrifice, his death on the cross, and his resurrection was a work of preparation for his people to be filled. It was our path in order to receive forgiveness and sonship from the Father so that in that forgiveness and sonship, we would be filled. Now, if Jesus were to stand amongst us today, and the question on his heart were to be, What are you doing with my gift? What do you think he would see? Have you ever been to somebody's house where you gave a gift and they're like, they have to get it out real quick and, you know, get the dust off of it because you're coming? Has that ever happened before? Or have you ever been that person? Like, oh gosh, they gave me that pot. We've got to use it. Put the salad in it or something. Like we haven't used it since they gave it. You know what I'm talking about? Nobody cooks? Okay. Or has, yeah, never mind. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, w- <laughs> I sense a little sarcasm there, Spencer. <laughs> so, if that were to be the question on Jesus' heart, to say, well, I wonder what, I, I'm going to come in the room and I want to see how they're using my gift. What do, you think, what do you think his response would be? You don't have to answer out loud, but what do you think his response would be? I paid my life. I spilled the most precious blood imaginable so that they might be filled, so that I could give them this gift of being filled with my presence, of never being able to go to any corner of the earth without being without me, of never lacking the ability to be intimate with the Father, to know truth, to be led in obedience. I, I gave my life for that gift. Now what are they doing with it? Jeremiah chapter 31. Somebody read verse 30 through 33. 33. Uh, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Go to John chapter 14. He says, I'm going to make a covenant with my people. It's not going to be like former days. This is going to be new. This is going to be greater. He says, I'm going to write my law on their inward parts. Go to John chapter 14. Somebody read verse 16 and 17. Where's the promise of the Spirit? You will know him because he remains with you and will be where? In you. This isn't just something new that Jesus came up with. This is the promise of God from, from back in the Old Testament that his people would one day be filled. Jesus, the Messiah, was the lamb slain, the work of preparation that we might be forgiven, Healed and set free, and that we might be filled with the Spirit. This is the gift. This is the work that we as believers must give ourselves to. We've got to quit ignoring the greatest gift that Jesus has, give, have, has given us. We've got to begin to give ourselves to this work. In uh, the the Old Testament, they had this uh, this structure that called the tabernacle. Anybody you familiar with the tabernacle? We did a study in, in here. I guess it's been about two years ago, where we actually set up. It was a real life version. I'm kidding. Uh, of the tabernacle, we had some really funny things in here to try to represent different. Anyway, anyway, what was the purpose of the tabernacle? If you read in the scriptures, this it's quite detailed. God had absolute detail as to how the tabernacle was going to be set up. Why was that? What was going to be in the tabernacle? His presence. The whole structure of the tabernacle, the whole creation of the tabernacle, it was made to be what? It was made to be filled the tabernacle was made to be filled with the presence of God. It's the very same picture. We were cleansed. We were made to be filled. And we've got to begin to give ourselves to this work of the filling with the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul tells us to do. In, in uh, both uh, letters to the Corinthians, in Galatians and in Ephesians, Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit. In all of these letters, in, in, as he addresses the churches, he tells us to be full of the Spirit. We have got to, as believers, begin to give ourselves to the abiding work of God, to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, uh, I don't have a ton of time to go over um, how, uh, how it all exactly works, the mechanics of faith and, the, and that connection there, but I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to get back to what we, uh, what we talked about last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul's going to ask a question uh, in verse 16. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple? Now we just talked about the tabernacle, the temple, exact same thing. Built to perfect specifications for the purpose of the filling by the presence of God. And he says, do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you. Now, why do you think he would ask the question, do you not know that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He asks the question for for a reason, because the answer to that question matters. What what happens in our lives if we disregard the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit? Does our Christian life look fundamentally different if we totally ignore the presence of the Holy Spirit in us? Absolutely. So Paul comes to them and he asks this question. He says, do you not know? Are you not aware that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Because the recognition of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the attentiveness to that work which God has done by placing His Spirit in us brings about a total shift in who we are. It brings us from people that are, uh, that are predominantly motivated by works to people who are predominantly motivated by obedience. Our goal is to be obedient to the Spirit of God that is in us. It is vital that we know how to answer the question, do you not know that the Spirit of God lives in you? Now go to Ephesians 5, and we're going to try to bring this thing full circle from our conversation last week. Okay, let's just start in verse 15 of Ephesians 5. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, he gives specific direction here. He says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I want to point out a couple of things there. Number one, what does it take to get drunk with wine? Is it an accidental act? Anybody ever got drunk accidentally? You may say that, but you're lying, right? No, it's an intentional act. What does it take to be drunk with wine? There has to be intentionality behind the drinking of the beverage, right? You make a point to take the action to be filled with wine. And he says, he's going to compare these two things. He says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, it's important that you understand that those words, be filled with the Spirit, is a present and continuing act. It's not be filled with the Spirit one time. The, the, the words, if you if we were to read this in Greek, it would sound more like, but be being filled with the Spirit. Now, that doesn't make sense in English, so we change it a little bit. But the, the, the word that he uses here to be filled with the Spirit is a present and continuing act. So don't get drunk with wine, which takes intentionality, which takes... Uh, coming up with the, this idea in your mind and actually putting action to it. And he says, but be being filled with the Spirit. The same thing is true. It, just as it is true to get drunk with wine, there's it's an intentional act. But be being filled with the Spirit is not just a one-time thing that happens at salvation. That's when the Spirit dwells in you. But to be being filled with the Spirit is a present and continuing act of the believer. And it takes intentionality on our part. It's not something that we sit idly by and we're just filled with the Spirit. We don't wake up one morning and just go, man, I really hope that God just fills me up today. There's intentionality in it. What is the intentionality? What, what kind of work do we have to do to be filled with the Spirit? Well, some might think you got to do a lot of Bible study. you got to really, really, really have your Bible memorized. you got to do all of the Song and dance of, of study and scripture memorization and these things. Are those things wonderful and good? Yes. but Do those things fill you with the Spirit? No. What about behaving really well? What about staying out of a lot of trouble? Does that fill you with the Spirit? No. There's one act and one act alone, which is what activates the filling of the Spirit in our lives. And Jesus talks about it in John chapter 15. He says, the work of the believer, what you've got to be diligent to do, Hebrews chapter 12 says, diligently enter into what? His rest. John chapter 15 tells us to what? The word of that whole chapter is what? Abide. To be filled with the Spirit is an act of submission on the part of the believer. To be filled with the Spirit, doesn't, it's not a talent show. I don't get in front of the Lord and go, if I can just perform well enough for you, then you'll fill me with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is simply to acknowledge that I cannot live the life, God, that you've asked me to live today. Will you fill me uh, thoroughly that it might pour out and be pleasing to you? It's that simple act of submission, it's that request, it's that denial of myself that activates the filling of the Spirit. Uh, We were talking about this in our life group on Tuesday, and uh, I don't know if it works this way for you guys, but, man, life group is so helpful for me to talk about these concepts with people uh, because I I learn it from a whole new angle. And in life group, this picture hit me as we were talking about being filled with the Spirit. If there's a bucket, and maybe it's not helpful, maybe "That's that's just you, but it was helpful for me. If there's a bucket of water on the floor... How do I get wet from that bucket of water? I've got to pick it up and I've got to dump it on my head, right? If I did, if I did nothing, does that, is that water going to going to flood me? No. So in that situation, that water is not a very active presence. It has nothing, that water is not going to do anything absent me picking up the bucket and dumping it on my head. This is the way that we view, I think, being filled with the Spirit. We believe that somehow the this, this Spirit is the water and we believe that somehow there's some action, some, some song and dance that I'm going to do it, wherein I'm going to pick up the bucket and I'm going to fill me with the Spirit. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as quite a very uh, different thing in the, in the believer. He says that it's going to be like rivers of living water. So what's the difference between the bucket that's on the ground and a bucket that's suspended in the air, turned upside down, with water in it, with a cover? Now this is where we got to get a little creative with my example. What is now pressing that water? The water was, in, was passive on the ground, in the bucket, but now there's something that's drawing that water towards me, isn't it? What is it? Now, the, the, there's a bucket. There's a cover on the bucket. Gravity. Gravity is what ma- has made... Now, there's, don't argue. There's gravity in the bucket on the ground too, but quit, science people. All right? So the, there is now something that is an active force pressing the water to my direction. I want to tell you that that's how the Holy Spirit is in you. We're going to get to, back to the bucket in a minute. The Holy Spirit is not a passive presence that is in you. The Holy Spirit is not sitting by and waiting for you to do what you do in order to activate his presence and somehow be filled. The Holy Spirit is desiring to have every ounce of your being right now. He is pressing, pushing, and waiting for you just to say the words of submission, for you just to simply submit yourself. And in your submission, like rivers of living water coming out of, get- we ought to know this picture well in Texas at this point, busting through the gates. He's ready to fill the believer that would simply submit. And in our picture of the bucket, the the word of submission, that prayer as we wake up in the morning and as we go about our day that says, I cannot do, God, what you've asked me to do. Would you fill me with your presence? And our submission to him is an act of worship, releases the hold on that bucket. And the Holy Spirit comes pouring out, fills us to absolute overflowing what activate what the difference between the believer who simply has the presence of the holy spirit in them and the believer who is constantly being filled with the holy spirit the difference is one thing the difference is worship we talked about worship last week worship is submission that submission that recognition That I couldn't save myself, nor can I live this life that God has asked me to live. And so every day, every moment, I'm going to submit to the one who is in me. The promise that Jesus made, He's going to fill me with His presence so that I can walk in obedience to Him. Every moment is a moment of submission. And every moment of submission is a moment of filling. That's powerful, friends. Every moment of submission, every act of worship is a moment of filling with the Holy Spirit. And as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we walk in community with one another. We love each other with a love that Jesus said would, uh, would declare to the nations that we are his. In our submission to the Holy Spirit, rivers of living water pour out of our lives. So the desire for us this morning really was to understand more fully why submission and worship equals filling with the Holy Spirit. I hope this has been uh, somewhat helpful. Um, we, we've got some other uh, examples and, uh, and and teaching. If you want to look on the website of, of how faith comes by hearing and how faith works with somebody filled with the Spirit, those are very, very, very helpful things that I don't have time to go through um, today, but you can certainly find those on the website. So, um yeah, any questions? Normally ask questions. you got three minutes. Anybody? I don't normally finish early. That's why we don't ask for questions. Does anybody have any questions? Okay. Let's pray. God, we uh, thank you for the time that we have been able to spend in your word. And God, I, I thank you that it's, that it's simple. It's quite complicated to apply because my flesh hates submission, but it's simple. Your promise is that if I will just give up, if I will just not try to live a life that you've asked me to live based on my effort, my, the promise is that if I would abide in you, submit to you, that I would bear much fruit, that I will be obedient to you. And that, God, out of me will flow rivers of living water. So that's what we ask in this room this morning. We pray that all across the room, uh, men and women would give up trying to live the Christian life. And that they would allow your presence, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to fill them absolutely completely to overflowing. And We pray that in in that, God, we would worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.